Everyone, welcome to another episode of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, Captain Chase McKinney, and joining me as we uh, as we rock and roll through some feelings of stuffs and uh, you know random litter in space. My good friend, Lieutenant Commander David, and of course, Lieutenant Commander Eric. How are you, gents, doing? Well, boys, first, I think we're going to have to start out with a story. I love a good about story. That, about that one time where something happened in my life that totally is applicable to the rest of our conversation because it's written that way. Mm. Ready for that story? I'm yeah, not. That happens in every type of literature, right? You see, like, all in movies and TV shows all the time, somebody's always got a perfect story that's completely applicable to this situation, and they know all of the details about it straight from memory because it was one of the biggest and most influential moments in their life. It's, it, I have no problem with that. Are we talking about the Lion King right now? I feel like we're talking about the Lion King. I mean, are we? I mean, yeah. This is the, this is the Lion King podcast, right? Uh, I mean... The, the Lone Star Pride Rock... Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Kuna Matata, y'all. Kuna Matata. The circle of Pride Rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're fine, by the way. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're totally we <laughs> Is this a bit now? <laughs> I mean, I was I was on dad duty today, so there, there may have been at least one time when I, I held my son up like freaking Simba <laughs> off Pride Rock. You know, I didn't drop him, thank goodness. Like like Michael Jackson held his kid over the railing of the yeah. balcony that one time? Yeah, you're going all boomer mode on us, Eric. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, hey, we're not boomers. I know we're not, but the kids don't know that. Because we have, we have faces for radio, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I do. Yeah. And by the way, I did ask how y'all gents were doing. That was like the first thing that came out of my mouth. Yeah, I, I decided to engage in a poorly timed joke that I wasn't fully committed to. So yeah. <laughs> I love it when that happens. <laughs> and once again, I guess uh, David and I are in on something that apparently Eric's not. Yeah, right? you just you never tell me these things. You always <laughs> leave me out of the communique. We we, <laughs> we text each other in the morning, Eric. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> you know. Do you feel like uh, like Jonas Quinn or something right now? Yeah, definitely. Like, how do you know which color uniform to wear? <laughs> <laughs> Jonas oh. Quinn. Oh goodness, goodness, goodness! A little love for for Stargate SG One. Was that season? Was that season six? six. Season six. Look yeah. at that! I actually remembered something. How about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, David, did you watch um, SG One? Yeah, I've watched it all. Jonas Quinn, the biggest Mary Sue of the entire series. Oh, yeah, by the way, I totally know everything Daniel does without knowing anything about any of your your, your history well, listen, or your planet listen. or whatever. It's his, cool. his, on his planet, humans on his planet developed higher brain capacity than humans on Earth did. That was explained in the story, mm. which is how he could just read all of Daniel's notes and just absorb it like that i mean all i'm saying is if they were so evolved they wouldn't have killed daniel in the first place well but the plot did they kill, it. did they kill daniel well i mean i mean daniel killed himself. watch right? next season to find out no, i mean daniel killed himself didn't he yeah, yeah, I mean, he well the 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 producers did 
right? I mean, yeah, I mean, they didn't commit The finance people, department right? did. Like, just like the producers of Star Trek Discovery will not commit to killing a character, right? <laughs> the producers of Stargate SG-1 would not commit to killing Daniel Jackson. Except that's for a, a franchise. That That's a spoiler, okay? So... Spoilers. If you've never seen Star Trek, but, S- but Stargate, on. SG-1. Star Trek, SG-1. <laughs> Star, Star Trek, SG-1. Have you seen Star Trek, SG-1? <laughs> if you've never seen Stargate, SG-1, that's a spoiler. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I but, mean, it's only been it's only been over for 14 years. I was about to say, does the right? statute of limitations even exist on that? It's, on spoilers? it's been over for longer than it was on. So yeah, I think true. the statute of limitations is over. Okay. All right. It's like I mean, saying what is what is Rosebud? I think after, you know, almost 80 years, I think the statute of limitations is gone. Okay, but seriously though, what like when it comes to like newer movies like I don't know, No Way Home, what's the statute of limitations on that? Like when are you able to one freely year. talk one, about one it? One year. One year. One year? Or or the next movie in the series. Right? Or so whenever like, you want. So like if you so now that No Way Home has come out, you can talk spoilers about Far From Home because the next movie in the series is out. Oh, so like, like of the same like Spider Man, like we're not talking sure, like Marvel. Sure, yeah. Wow, Chase, I just you know I think you just need to let it go and just just do it, just talk all about it, spoil it for everybody. I mean, I could. I mean, it'd be like one long bleeped out section of this of this show, but. This this the Spider Man review on a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with with how it opens, y'all. No, I'm kidding. Not gonna spoil No Way Home. But I did see it. Uh, I did was see able, it too. Yeah, I was able to see it in theaters, and um, that was great. I also recently um, watched uh, Matrix Resurrections, and that was interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't interesting is an interesting choice of words that you didn't say it was good. I mean, it was good, but it was, it's, I don't, hmm, hmm. There's a lot of meta stuff that takes place, and I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I got, I got invited to see a, I don't know if you'd call it a screening, a streaming. Okay. <laughs> at a friend's house who has like a projector and all that stuff. It's like, no. Nah. Do, do they, they they didn't have like the big comfy like leather recliner couch chair things? I don't believe so. No, I mean you could have lured me for some popcorn. That is some of my favorite stuff. Just 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 nice buttery popcorn. Just like leave a trail of popcorn for David. Yeah. Just like it's a like, cartoon, <laughs> kernel by kernel. It's like how E.T. he put the Reese's Pieces to lead him out. Yeah, that's tempting too. I mean, I do love me some Reese's Pieces. See, is that a spoiler for E.T., 40 years old? <laughs> no. Right? <laughs> no. Come on now. I mean, it's got a ride. It, it's got, I mean, there's a ride at freaking uh, Universal. I mean, it's been out since like, what, 1980? 82. 82. So Good thir- 39 years, not yeah. 40. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're, we're about to round 40 for Pete's sake. That's like asking if like... If uh, you know, saying that Luke or that um, Darth Vader is Luke's dad is a spoiler these Whoa. days. Whoa! Oh, whoa! Oh boy! <laughs> whoa! How well, could I'm you? That, I'm bleeping that out now. <laughs> Such a small little insignificant franchise. 
It's just this little star something. It's no big deal. Cult. Cult classic. It's fine. It's fine. It's whatever. All right. Well, Eric, we'll try and we'll try and loop you in the group text next time with what uniform we're wearing. All right. So, well, we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, anyway, well, everyone, uh, we are about to, um, I guess, head into that spoiler territory stuff. Um, I guess we're getting at it a little early this time. So uh, this is your last warning, red alert, um, as we go in to talk about uh, episode six, Stormy Weather for uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 4. Um, so, yes, Stormy Weather. This was, um, um, I'm going to use the word again, an interesting episode. <laughs> mm. um, this was a bottle episode, in a sense. Okay, tell, tell, tell us, um, all, everyone in Listerland, what you mean by that. Like a well, ship in a bottle? <laughs> Wooden ships? You never played with those? Yeah, you, broke your, you broke your little ships. Um, no, like a bottle episode. It's an episode set entirely on the ship. They don't go to a planet. They don't go to another ship. You don't have any guest stars. All I guess this episode does have a guest star, right? But it's, it's contained, right? You're just in one place, in one location, and you're not going anywhere. You're not bringing anybody else in. And that's essentially what happens here. Sure. So with this um, with this episode, we have kind of um, uh, like a, uh, several things going on, so to speak. Like we have like some lounging around. We have galaxy-ending stuff happening, and transporters. Yeah, that's that's what we got going on this week with uh, with stormy weather and um, and AI consciousness. Uh, for Franklin deserved better, Chase. Franklin, he deserved yeah. better. Who's Franklin? Franklin? Ensign Cortez? Relics. Pattern buffer. Oh, Scotty. okay. Okay, yeah. Franklin, he deserved better. <laughs> Look at that. David going with a deep cut. Love it. Mm-hmm. I love it when that happens. So I'm not, I'm not good with names. Like, <laughs> of people. I mean, except life. for... Ensign Cortez, like okay, the- well, yeah, because I just watched that episode today. <laughs> Let alone, when was the last time I watched Relics? Two, I three years ago. I don't know. That maybe like this summer when you do like your annual like star date watch through. Like, like it maybe every three years. Really? Yeah, maybe every two. Who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe every year. I did rewatch it all last summer. There so, we go. Okay, nice. I was I was half right. I, was I can't remember the time I watched it before then when that was, but I did watch it all last summer. Okay, so coming off the heels of of um, the examples and learning about the fact that this thing is freaking man-made, we have to we have to go more and more into the who done it, and we got to go explore it and do a little science experiment and figure out stuff like do some reconnaissance of sorts. So let's well, basically. Uh, blip in let's let's get over there let's do the thing and get as much information as we can but upon getting there stuff starts to happen um we we send out a dot essentially to kind of which we learn is nielsen's like that's her job she's the dot person yeah the dot controller there we go we finally know what what her job is um let's send out a dot to do a little reconnaissance, let's 
you know, get some data in so that we can start to analyze. And then um, they get out, I think it was like 4,000 hey, meters, you're, if I'm you're, not mistaken. I mean, I feel like you're jumping ahead, right? I mean, so, kind of. Well, I mean, but like, why do we even have to send out the dot? Because we decide to fly into the rift, or right, the subspace rift created by this anomaly, mm-hmm. and there's nothing there, right? Literally nothing there. Like, we can't see anything. Sensors don't pick up anything. Nothing to hear. No, like, background noise. And scientifically, that's impossible. And we're expecting it to be bumpy, right? When you hear the title of this stormy weather, you're like, you think of, like, hey, turbulence, right? But we get inside there and wait, wasn't it supposed to be a rough ride? This doesn't, this doesn't match. So then we have to send out the dot. Okay. Had, had a had a bit of a smack of like where silence has lease. Yeah. TNG. Obviously, without you know all the fun of getting played with by you know a malevolent and its entity. An alien but, uh, cat thing. Yeah. 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 I designed this specifically for you. I look exactly like you. <laughs> that's, that's the best I could do. I'm sorry. Um, okay, so what happens to this dot I have some issues with, and I don't know if I want to talk about it now or later. It just dying, screaming in space. Well, it clearly ran into something, right, right. That, that broke it. I, I guess I'm going to have to do it like a It screamed while it died. It's a robot, and it just... I mean, the, it's a metaphorical screaming. It's the noise of it being ripped apart. When you rip anything that's metal uh, apart, it's going to make a noise. It sounded an except awful lot in, like except, a little little robot scream. Except in the vacuum of space, no one can hear you scream. That was the tagline for another good, <laughs> for a good science fiction story. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to have to kind of like... I don't know what this is going to do with the discussion, but I think it was last season. Yeah, it had to have been last season when, um, like, Zora is, like, first becoming, like, a thing, basically, on the ship. And Zora is essentially being part of, like, the dots, like, that are doing work on the ship and, like, various tasks and stuff like that. So... Zora is very much a centerpiece in this particular episode, not to get too incredibly far ahead, but they but Zora is very, very significant in this in this episode. So are we to believe that like part of Zora was being ripped apart? Like that was being like killed off in the dot? Because like no. that was just kind of confusing. So I the what I thought is that when um, Osira and the chain took over Discovery. They were trying to like wipe the computer core so they could like put in their protocols to take it over. And Zora, or the sphere data, right? I don't think she had the name Zora yet. I think we knew it from the short trek, but um, she was just trying to hide essentially. But which doesn't make any sense because you can't delete her because. We tried to do that in season two. That's the whole reason we had to go to the future is because, you know, you couldn't delete her. But now it seems like 
at that point they tried to change the story and say hey well she could have been deleted but she tried to hide herself in the dots and I, I, I just assumed that once they retook control of the ship she put herself back in the main computer okay do either of you like the idea of a sentient computer? No. I mean, it's not like it's not like anything new. It's been done before, but I mean, do we want to talk about Zora right now or do you want to wait? Six of one, half a dozen the other. Okay, well, listen. We 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 were trying to keep last week's episode short, and so I wanted to talk about Zora last week, and we didn't get the chance to. And after we logged off, I said to Chase, at some point, we're going to have to talk about the Zora of it all. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I guess that's now, right? Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Buckle I up. Guess, I mean, I said, I literally last week, I was like, we're going to have to talk about the Zora of this at all. Mm -hmm. Because, like, when we first met the Sphere, right, in Season 2, it was, like, so powerful, it took over the ship. And it, like, wouldn't let them d delete it, wouldn't let them destroy it. It was what caused them to have to go to the future. And we've had this short trek hanging over us, right, for, I don't know, three years or something about how Zoria is, like, sentient and the ship is going to be, you know, deserted somewhere. And I've always said that I know why the producers are not like using Zora more because it feels like it's like deus ex machina literally a god from the machine right and if you have a millennia old intelligence it should just be able to solve all your problems and you know yeah in theory that's yeah, not sure. that's not interesting right so they've been teasing this slow development of Zora but Frankly, this should have happened long before now, as far as I'm concerned. With all of the upgrades that have done to this ship, jumping a thousand years into the future, this should have happened before now. But, like, Discovery is a living ship now, right? Literally, this ship is alive. It is a sentient being. Like, this is no longer the sphere data hiding out inside. Like, like she's merged with the ship here, and the ship is... It's... it's Hal from 2001, it's Moya from Farscape, if anybody's watched Farscape out there, right? This is the a TARDIS. living... I, is the TARDIS alive? Basically. Yeah. Okay. I, I, okay. This is a living ship, and it's going to have to, like, become super powerful, like, unstoppably powerful, because it is literally a millennia-old intelligence, right? It has all the information from millennia's worth of time and like last week after the the DMA like disappeared and reappeared thousand light years or whatever however far it was away they were like M Michael Byrne was like Zora have you ever seen anything like this and like nope nothing this is not possible it's like why didn't you think to ask Zora or the sphere data that three episodes ago or right when you encountered this it seems like why, why wouldn't that be one of the first things you would do hey look we encountered something we don't know what it is let's ask this intelligent being that's been around for millennia hey and I don't know it just this is this is the one part of this episode that I really just don't like and it's just 
uh, I don't know. I, it's, it's not bad, but I don't well, know what it, to think about it. No, it's not. I, I agree. It's not just that for me, though. It's also that effectively you gave a computer a fidget spinner in this episode. So <laughs> uh, uh, you, you, you brought in Gray, the character of Gray. And what did you make Gray? The fidget spinner. For a computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a use of a character. And, like, there was stuff with data, obviously, with the emotion chip and having to figure out fear and, well, like, first contact, you know, he switches his, his chip off and, oh man, I wish I could do that. But, I don't know. It, it it feels almost like it's trying to be too topical to the way a lot of people now are, are sort of um, in the overstimulated kind of culture we have now where everything's a screen, everything's go, go, go. And, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine about like Christmas gifts recently and they were talking about they just call them fidgets now. It's not like just one thing it's like an entire package full of things that you just buy for kids I was like darn that just seems like just stimulate 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 and then instead of this computer as, as both you know Chase and Eric you both mentioned you have all of the, the this this data all of this learning all of this accumulation and it it just cracks under any sort of pressure yeah that's the and issue then, that I'm having well, then the only other add-on I would have for that is why would I want that as my, my, like, my central computer? I just mm-hmm. want the computer to do computy things, like just report and we'll do our thing. And then like that doesn't seem like a stable mechanism yeah, for the, a ship. The thought that I'm having, and this is going to sound really silly, but I'm dead serious. Like what happens when like you don't have like a Captain Burnham, you don't have a Gray, an Adira, a whoever there to talk the computer off a ledge, right? Like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, could be a very valid response from Zora as this central computer. And like, you're in the middle of a freaking dogfight, you need to warp the heck out of there, you need to jump the heck out of there, and the computer's like, no, don't feel like it, sorry. Well, the, the computer needs counseling, right? I mean, we've talked about <laughs> all the counseling that's been going oh on. And essentially, essentially, Gray is acting as a counselor here in this episode. And, and then Michael Burnham later comes in and gives some counseling here. And actually, what I think is some pretty good um, character growth for Michael Burnham. I, we'll get there, I, I, I guess. But, um, man, this ship needs counseling. <laughs> yeah. What if the yeah? What if the ship does decide it doesn't want to do something? I didn't even think of that. You you get in like some major squirrely stuff, and you you need to be able to do something, you know, in in a millisecond. Well, t- take it, yeah, take it back to very base level stuff because even at the beginning of the episode, we had a callback again to the last episode with Felix and. Uh, with Michael culturally appropriating the tree thing from other Thank people. Thank you. 
Thank you. I wanted to bring this up, like this whole cultural appropriation thing that's I, going I'm, on. I'm not, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, and I'm, and I'm certainly not trying to be insensitive to anything, but it seems a little strange that you're just adapting this for your own usage. But my, my, my point was is that Book even is still kind of on about it. He wanted to save Felix, uh, even at the... And that that's the moral dilemma. Do you take somebody against their will, or do you let them make their own decisions and so forth? And obviously Book was like, nah, take this dude. And they kind of argued about that. Well, what if you're in a, in a situation where you have uh, some sort of like prime directive thing? Like, hey, this planet's gonna get destroyed by a solar flare. We could save them, but they're pre-warp. So prime directive, no, we can't do anything. They just have to follow their natural course or something like that. And the ship's like, well, I'm not moving. Now we'll all die. You know what I mean? <laughs> Help or die. Help or die. You know, so it, that that's the kind of... I mean, I don't think that they'll build that into the show. I, I actually think that that's a little bit above the pay grade here. But it does sort of bring into question that... I mean, this ship could make its own decisions now, effectively. Yeah, it, I mean, which, yeah, which, the ship, which the ship is alive. Which brings me back to, I think, the point that I raised... Uh, if not last week, re- fairly recently, like the whole idea of like measure of a man, like we we went through that whole thing of like, it, is data an- um, sentient, right? In that particular episode, and like putting his individuality of sorts on trial. I mean, who's to say that we're not going to have measure of a man part two, um, with with like freaking ships and like what the sphere data what Zora is now bringing into this 32nd century and how that could or could not directly impact future ship design and like all the well, other like all weird the ships stuff have, have rights now well you can't I mean that I don't think we're gonna get to, to there because you know just like data data was unique they could not build another one right you can't build another Zora because this is a millennia-old being, right? Unless, know, there's a, unless there's another sphere out, a sphere mate, or a Eric. sphere sibling, <laughs> sphere sibling, or something. Could, could you imagine they try and do like a trial? Like, well, I mean, there's always there's a trial episode like per per uh, iteration of Star Trek, right? So it's like they start listing out the spheres' credentials. <laughs> Help them jump 900 years in the future has accumulated data and knowledge of so many species and stuff like this. It's like, what do we do? Eric, there's always, um, if not, you know, bumping uglies with another sphere, there's always the whole fractal neuronic cloning. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. Somebody wants to come around and take, take, the, take the ship apart so they can study it and build more of them, mm. right? Hmm. Bruce Maddox's ancestor. Let's do it. <laughs> Felix Maddox. I feel like the name would change after a thousand years, right? You'd be like you would think. Madu or something. Or or Felix Girati. Oh jeez. Oh, Come on, man. <laughs> Too soon? Too soon? <laughs> yeah, one of my ancestors flew around in a ship with uh, some admiral, Picard. Yeah, like they team. got away with murder, by the way, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they just dropped that. Story. We'll see if they drop that storyline. Who knows? But anyway, 
but yeah, like that was the thing that was like driving me absolutely batty. Like just thinking, like, are they gonna? They won't. But are they gonna go really go down this path? Like with making it more and more sentient and being able to just choose what they want to do regardless of the chain of command, which seems like a really bad idea in the grand scheme of things. Well, I, I, I feel like, like I said, I, I've said this, the the writers and the producers, yes, they want, I feel like they want to develop this story because it, it fits with like the culture that we're in right now of, you know, somebody, uh, I want to say this delicately, right? I don't want to like, um, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know. I feel like this is supposed to be a parallel to, you know, people and what what we're experiencing in the world right now. And I think that's why they chose to do this storyline with Gray here, who is finally getting some screen time, but I wish there was better stuff that Gray was being able to do rather than basically be like a fidget, as you said, David. You're having your fidget. Well, I mean, what 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 are you supposed to do with Gray? In in all honesty, like what what is the idea? I you, don't you, know. you bring you bring the character back to life into the synthetic body or the golem as Chase loves to put it as. What do you do what are you what are you supposed to do with them? I mean, it's not like we're saying that this is a terrible character and they should just right. axe it, but I mean, like what what are we they're, they're not in Starfleet. But, yeah, They're like, not commissioned. Like, they don't have a ship like Book. So, I mean, seriously, if all they're going to do with Gray is make them the counselor to the computer, like, I think that's a, that's a complete waste of time. That is a very big waste. Like, at least, like, Adira, you know, she wanted to be part of Starfleet, and they gave her a commission, and now she's, like, working in the command structure. But, like... Gray doesn't want to be a part of Starfleet. Gray wants to go back to Trill and learn to be a guardian, right? So, yeah. like, if that's what Gray wants to do, then they should go back to Trill, right? But I feel like you can't just bring Gray, give 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 them a new body, and then okay, bye, right? Because you're gonna have to. Because the what was the point, right? So, I feel like. Gray at some point they are going to be important to this storyline they're going to figure something out maybe maybe this is the start of Gray's story this season is now Gray is the Zora Whisperer right and <laughs> I don't know I don't know but like that's a really bad idea but I don't know but like I'm so confused by this character right I get it that this is like a personal journey that people are experiencing in the real world right now and you want that type of representation in your show. I get that. I'm totally there. I, I'm told I have no issues with that at all. But if you're gonna do that, your character should be important. Your character should have something to do. And as we've seen, wasn't even in last week's episode, had one scene the episode the two in each of the two episodes before that, and has done basically nothing. Yeah. T talked with Adira, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this is this is the only problem with going back to something we talked about in, in prior seasons, this idea of this whole family thing. I mean, it's cool to have your whatever, if you want to call it your office, your community around you, your ship in this case, to be like family, but it's still Starfleet. 
put put them in a uniform get them a job like if they're going to be on the ship just like do it we don't focus that much right. on the um like the family units and the the non-commissioned people on ships very often there are episodes with that obviously like tng and so forth but i mean this is built around the science fiction side of things this is built around the central problem i, I will say this if you wouldn't have had some of the extracurriculars in this episode, you actually had a reasonable Star Trek episode. Like this problem, and like Stamet saying, I don't remember the exact line, but it's like now to the science or something like that. It's That was like, okay, so we have this baseline here, this baseline Star Trek, but then again, it's like computer whispering, and I, I, I don't know. It, it just seems so far off at times. Yeah, like to your to your point about like um, like both Adira and with Gray. Like Adira was originally part of like the Earth Defense Force, so she had like some kind of organizational something, um, and she decided like, hey, I'm going to stick with the Discovery. And now that we have Gray in corporeal form, like look, book or not? Sorry, book um, Burnham in the season three uh, what was it the season three premiere. She like just straight up commissioned um, Sahil as an officer, so it's not that she can't do it. Like she could one hundred percent just commission Gray, like to go do something if Gray wanted. Wesley, Wesley Crusher. Gray. If that's Gray not wanted, what, that's not what Gray wants. Right, but, but there has to be some something coming to get Gray either off the ship or on a different path from being a guardian uh, for for the narrative to make any sort of sense. And I don't want to. I don't want to seem. Um, I don't know. Two sided with something, but like, it just drives me bonkers. If I'm being completely honest with you guys and, and everyone in Listenerland, that we have to have like, like so much like, bonky on the head. Like, oh, and now to the science. Like, yes, we know you're about to do some science, but like, do we really have to state that we're about to do science? Well, the, the only reason why I like that is because the, the show is not always very scientific. Like Despite they don't it being a very science research vessel. Well, yeah. uh, right. And it, I, only, I only like it because that's just not always the norm. And it's kind of like, here, here's, some, here's like some angry nerd troll from some forum page. Like, now to the science. And it's just, it's just there in your face. But I mean, realistically... <laughs> If you, you said that in TNG, it'd be like, no, nah, you don't need to go that heavy-handed. But in this show, it kind of made me well, laugh a little listen, bit. Listen, Discovery is not a subtle show. <laughs> I mean, no. I think that is the problem that you see with a lot of the ratings and a lot of the angry trolls online, is that it's not very subtle. Like, this whole Grey, Adira, Zora story line is not subtle and a lot of people have issues with the quote unquote wokeness of it all and then I mean that's the thing we've said it over and over again I I don't think any of us have any real issue no. with representation nope. no absolutely not the, the, the issue is just that they use some of those characters like like they're, they're nothing I mean this was the first episode where with the exception of Reno, they actually highlighted the majority of the cast, even brought back in Pollock for for a jaunt down the hallway to see someone die. 
thanks for that. I actually but thought like, they were going to kill her off. I thought yeah, they Yeah, I did too. I did too. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours, Culber. Have a good day. But they had, they had a reasonable majority of the crew here. But even in continuation of that... Uh, and something that I've I've been really angry, nerd, trollish about is this whole, let me tell a personal story in five seconds so that you can totally relate to me, but it's never going to happen because it's so quick. Because a Wusukun, in this case, has her story before, you know, they go into the pattern buffer much later on to apologize to Saru. It's like, I don't need that. I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like it as a storytelling thing. I understand yeah. that it happens, but in a book, it's drawn out. In this, it's yeah. not. There's not. There's not enough for me to just give these people their own episodes. Like this, I think this, and maybe one other episode. Um, I, what like the last time Bryce was around, I think was like the only two episodes that there've really been much in the way of character development. I mean, save for maybe Tilly with like her going on her away mission with the cadets. Hmm. So I mean. That was that was kind of a refreshing thing for me, even though it was kind of like just maybe phoned in a little bit when it when it came to that. So no, let, let's get back to the bridge crew because you talked about them. Let's sure. let's, Do let's it. get to this. Do it because I I love this part of this episode. I I yeah. really do. I really love this. Like for a lot of reasons. So. First off, they the dot gets destroyed somehow, and they realize that this barrier or whatever is coming towards them, and they send out some flare. Right? Hey, they science. They say, hey, we got to figure out a way to see something. Let's send out a flare, and then that's one person's idea. And then another person's like, and let's follow the same course and speed. That's another idea. Now we're working together to solve this problem, and the flare goes off, and they detect this barrier, and they find out how fast it's moving to them. And then <clears throat> Saru has a little, like, pulls burn him aside. He's like, come here, come here, come here. Like, our sensors aren't working. The science part of this mission is over. And in, like, a great display of leadership, Burnham's like, we're getting out of here. Like, this is, this is amazing that Burnham says this at this moment after everything that she has been through over these three seasons she's like yeah this science mission is over we're getting the hell out of here like and that's the right decision for her ship and for her crew that is the right and like my mind exploded when i saw this because i was like <laughs> how did michael burnham make this decision like she is the person that if Lorca had said Mission's over, we're getting out of here. She'd be like, no, we can't do that. Yeah. Right, or if Pike had said, we're getting out of here. She's like, no, 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 no. Or even last season, like, like Saru said, you can't go do this. She's like, bullshit, I'm going to do it. Watch me. Right? And so, like, <laughs> like, this is, like, the biggest character growth we've seen from Michael Burnham in the entire show. She's like, science mission's over. Science mission's over. Like, I'm saving my ship. I'm saving my crew. We're getting out of here. And you should have saw me as I was watching this. I literally, like, sitting on my couch, like, jumped up. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, it, like, like this. that would have been a sight to see, right? Me watching that moment because I couldn't believe it. 
I, I've actually reviewed the tape. It, it's actually quite quite uh, amusing. Right. It was. It was. There, there's a webcam that he doesn't know about. That's that's oh. in his house. Oh damn! Damn! You got a <laughs> nanny cam somewhere? Is that that gift you sent me had a nanny cam in it? Did. You didn't think it was odd when he sent you a giant teddy bear with a hole cut out of the chest? I mean, come on now. Come on It was now. so cuddly and fluffy. I just love it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, man. speaking of AI watching everything you do. Oh, man. Anyway. Anyway, we're trying to get out. Turn the ship around. Nope. No, right. no way to guide us. Can't you just, like, reverse course? Like, okay, we came in at heading... 278 mark 504 or two, you know Whatever, so now yeah. that's that's one circle this way one circle for those of you that can't see that that's one circle horizontal one circle vertical and the mark tells you you turn from this circle to now the other circle you know which way you came in you know which heading you came in on literally flip it around and go back the way you came it's not that hard. You don't I need you don't need um, star markings, right? This to guide you. Right? We're not on a 12th century sailing ship where we need to see the stars to know which way to go. Saru, <laughs> get out the sextant. We must take the starch. <laughs> anyway, anyway, this is I mean, this is a fine it's fine. It's a Star Trek story where somehow we get trapped, right? There's lots of episodes where we get trapped, right? You talked about where silence has lease. There's the episode I thought a booby trap was the episode that came to mind right away. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? We get trapped. Alright? Can't warp out of here. Let's 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 spore jump out of here. And and Stamus doesn't want to get in the spore drive because he's got, he's he's doing science, right? I'm I'm doing science. I have to he look at the reading. He is the science, Eric. Right? I mean, <laughs> this is the whole science team that, like, he's he he's got a whole science team to like to work with him on this. Like, he's well, the only, I, but he, no, I'm the only person that can look at the data, so I can't jump in there. Well, so I now guess Book's now's a good time to delegate. Yep, now's a good time to delegate. So Book <laughs> oh, jumps in there. By the way, you might get shocked. Uh, what? No, don't worry about it. Delegation. <laughs> yeah, get in there. <laughs> Book gets in there, and they they try to jump out, and they can't, right? Right. And this and is, has, like, and the key like a, point of the entire episode. Right, and he has this, like, freak, like, uh, seemingly electrical something. Like, there's just this, like, massive reaction that takes place that would... In all likelihood, just completely jack up his brain, just like completely wreak havoc with it. If you were yeah, human, but he's not. He's not. He's not a human. But he's not human. He's from Quajon, right? So it's a little different. And as a result, he goes on a little bit of a trip, um, of sorts, kind of, um, seeing his deceased father. We find out who it's his birth. His, his deceased dad's birthday. And it's also his birthday. Yeah, his dad's birthday, uh, which. This is the thing that is like freaking him the heck out, but at the same time, is like this this thing that seems to give both Stamets and everyone else like a little bit of like an aha kind of moment of we can finally like get our hands on this DMA thing just a little bit more uh, based on what it's doing with the brain and like the residual stuff that it left behind as a result of the attempted jump. 
It's a total Ben Franklin moment. He do, he gets <laughs> shocked. We figure things shocked, out. We figure things out, right? <laughs> Did you kite. try putting a key on a kite for grounding? <laughs> no, no. I just stuck my hand in goo and got shocked. <laughs> No, but listen, like, he sees his father, right? And I feel like his father is trying to tell him to do everything that I have said I dislike about where they're heading with this book story this season. Like, like <clears throat> by changing this from a natural phenomenon to something that was created, right, man-made, so to speak, um... You, tr- you turn books grief into anger and his father whether or not this is his father or some subconscious piece of him right we know that qu- the Quajon the Quajani the Quajon people what I, the Quajani I don't know whatever we call them the Quajon they're like empaths they're connected to their planet and to the other people on their planet and they connect to the animals and right is this some is this real? Does he have a connection somehow to his actual father, right? Or is this just some subconscious manifestation? Whatever, mm-hmm. right? We don't know. I don't think the episode gives us a definitive answer. And I'm okay with not getting a definitive answer. <clears throat> but his father basically says, you should be angry. You should use your anger. Like, I was an angry person. I tried to teach you to be angry and to use that anger. And I really don't like that idea. I mean, sure, anger is an emotion, and emotions are not positive or negative, as Deanna Troy told us in that one episode, right? It's how you use them and how you deal with them, right? I just, I don't like angry book. I don't want him to be angry, because I think anger can lead, if you don't handle it well, to a lot of, like, really bad things happening. And I just... I don't know if this was done to, like, give Book, like, a foil, an antagonist, so to speak, and by this antagonist telling him to use your anger, he'll, like, give up his anger. Hopefully that's what they're going to do, but I don't know. Well, yeah, and, and to your and the thing that you were saying, Eric, like, even with anger, I mean, anger is a secondary emotion. So just because you're angry, I mean, like, you can feel anger, but anger stems from fear. In the grand scheme of things, um, so what what is the fear? You know, like apart from like the loss and like the grief and everything that goes with like losing your planet and your civilization of sorts, um, what's the thing that like has generated that's led to the anger um, that that his you know uh, spore tripping hallucinating uh, dream daddy is telling him to do so um, and we got we got we um, potentially got uh, the real name of book in this episode too I don't know if well, y'all y'all got that well, we got not. we got we got it last season when he went back to to Quay I John. guess I missed that yeah Terex yeah Terex his, his brother Kahim said that last season I'll see maybe I should get pay more attention or something I'm going to demote yeah, myself yeah I'm the one who's not good with names <laughs> friggin' I'm demoting myself Junior captain. Here we go. <laughs> or you're, you're, you know, there's levels of captains according to lower decks, right? 
Yeah, I'm a, I'm a California class captain, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how far how far ahead do y'all want to jump with this? Well, I mean, I mean, we figure out that these particles left in Book's brain, whatever. Right? I only found one place in the entire galaxy, and that's on the galactic barrier, right? Right. And we- so we can use that for a multitude of things right now we can use that and says hey i think that the dma like left some of it behind and that's how we can figure out how to get out of subspace so we can get out of this trap we're in mm-hmm. but then also once we're out right we know to somehow look for something at the galactic bear and that's where we can start looking for the person or race or whatever that created this thing right so at the same time we're still stuck and this is kind of giving us a little bit to work work with in terms of being able to start to get out or try, try and figure out a way out for the most part and part of that is figuring out and determining like the frequency that um, stuff can travel um, that things can can be in terms of like what's taken place and Bryce um, who's our communications dude is like, Hey, it might be this check and like, check out this frequency 218. I think Hertz is what he said. Kilohertz. Kilohertz. Um, old 20th century ban sonar, which we've had sonar in space before with JJ Trek, by the way. Um, so we have more, we have more sonar in space, but this is this is essentially our out. This is how we can figure out where, you know, where the off ramp is um, as a result. Which I I, I really like that. I, I liked how they they did that. Yeah, and they do they do the submarine one ping. <laughs> Give me one ping, and we can figure <laughs> yeah. out where this thing is. Right. <laughs> Just so they, the classic hunt for red October ping noise. <laughs> ping. <laughs> so they figure it out. And as a result, and, 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 and I love I love the way that like they're working together, right? Mm-hmm. We see them; they're not at their they're at like one station, and they're talking, and they're saying, "What if we try this? What if we try this? What if we try this? What if we?" Oh, yeah, and then they come up with their ideas, and it's like, "Hey, we've got a bridge crew that's actually working together, right? right. And they're they're figuring something out, right? Which is <clears throat> very different from how this show normally solves its problems." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most most um, episodes of Discovery are like moving at like a breakneck speed. This one really dials it back, I would say, when it comes to to how they're they're handling situations and problems and, and stuff like that. And well, it it also didn't contain fifteen storylines though either. Yeah. Really, it didn't have mm-hmm. like a, a a E and F plot. You know what I mean? It, it, it kept it pretty centralized throughout the entire thing, which makes things seem a bit slower, at least to me. But yeah, right. the, 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 the actual working together and sort of having these semi-conferences about, you know, our, our potential solutions. I mean, with the, with the exception of being around a conference table, it's pretty good. Yeah. And a captain's log can be... Missing. Right, and you yeah. know, like like they figure it out. They figure it out. Hey, we're, we we ping, we got the ping, and that gave us a location. And 
Zora is going to help us follow that ping out. But then Zora having a crisis of faith here, right? Because she let the crew member die. She thinks that was her fault. Then she's feeling guilty, right? Guilt is a pretty sophisticated emotion, right? For somebody who, like, was overwhelmed by all of the things that were happening earlier to now recognize that she's feeling guilty mm-hmm. because she let someone die. And now she's also she recognizing that Burnham doesn't trust her anymore. She's like, I also, I'm also sensing that you don't trust me, which is a pretty complicated emotion to understand if somebody trusts you or not, which this is one of the problems I'm having with Zora is like, she seems like such an infant in some moments that doesn't understand emotions, but then she's able to understand complex emotions in like the next scene. And it's very, very jarring to me. That was, so that's one thing I don't want to make light of this, but when, when gray figures out like, like, like Gray's doing their own assessment of of Zora, essentially, like playing chess or whatever they were playing, um, some semblance of chess. Doing, trying trill, to apply... Trill chess. Sorry? Trill chess. Yeah. Trying to apply, uh, like, guardian training stuff to Zora. Like, I was just, I was a little surprised that there wasn't something that happened on the bridge, like you tricked me type of thing. Like not, I'm not, not trying to be funny about it, but like, you know, kind of speak into like that, that infantile kind of mindset, right? Like I thought I, I thought I could trust you. I thought you were trying to help me. You're just taking advantage of me. Like that's kind of what I was half expecting to happen. Well, you know, Zora, if you weren't listening to all of our conversations, maybe I would trust you. Okay. No, but like, but, but I was getting at this point, like, you know, after Zora's like, I don't think I can help you here. And then, like, Book, or not Book, Burnham and Gray go into the ready room, essentially, to talk with Zora. And and I, this is also, I think this is a great moment. Like, this is, like, Michael Burnham character development that I'm just, like, again, shocked by. And Zora's like, I don't think you trust me, Captain. Zora's like, that doesn't matter right now. We've got a job to do. Right. First of all, that's I think that's great being a captain. Doesn't matter if I how you're feeling right now. We've got a job to do. And she says, like, what you're feeling is normal. You're being overwhelmed with guilt, right? <laughs> and she's like, you're not to blame. Whether that's true or not, you know, she's being a captain, saying you're not to blame. Like, this thing is happening, right? And then she tells them this story about how like what happened when her parents died and. You know, she hid and and um, it's she's trying to like again, David with these like he doesn't like. Oh, I've got a personal story ready right here for you, but I actually like this one. I actually like this one because I think it works and I think it it's like helping Michael Burnham become a better leader right here, where she essentially is like <clears throat> talking Zora through like she's talking a crew member essentially, right? Say, hey, there was nothing you could have done in this situation, but now we have a job to do, and I need you to step up, right? <clears throat> and I like I like this. This is like something, this is like, I really don't think we would have seen any of this from Michael Burnham in seasons one, two, or three, right? <clears throat> and she says something about like, you know, 
running into walls over and over again if you don't get over these feelings of guilt and and you were to blame right <laughs> and like sometimes emotions can can just you run you into walls but like I don't know I can't remember the exact speech but I think like <clears throat> it's a really good speech and it's like a captain like really helping a crew member step up and do their job I just I I'm I'm liking Michael Burnham more now than I ever had in have in the past and that's a good thing right because I want to have a good strong captain and I think we got a very good strong captain in this episode for sure yep. well I guess kind of rounding out this this particular episode one thing that was kind of happening um in in lieu of trying to figure out where the the exit point is like trying to figure out how to get out and how far away this thing is is that essentially it's moving closer and closer um quicker than anticipated essentially at different junctures in the episode so they figure out like this is our way out this is how we can pull it off but oh, by the way, we're not going to be able to do it in as timely of a manner as we thought we could. So as a result, um, we may or may not survive. Like the whole crew may or may not survive getting out of this thing. So more thinking, more more group think type of thing going on, and um, let's let's pull something from relics um, yeah, to but- to get us the heck out of here. Okay. So, so this episode was doing such a great job of teamwork. Let's let other people solve the problem, right? Let's let other people. Because Burnham was not involved in actually figuring out mm-hmm. what to do here, right? Yes, she was like, you know, pep-talking her crew, right? And, and guiding them. But she, she wasn't coming up with any of the ideas here, right? Well, she didn't and come I up that- with the buffer thing. Well, no, until this. That's what I'm saying. Until this. Okay, right? Gotcha. She was not... And this like this show was doing so good. It was doing so good at letting other people... Like, the crew was working together, and they were coming up with ideas. And then the show just could not help itself. It could not help itself. <laughs> and Burnham just, with two seconds worth of thought, maybe. What if we go into the pattern buffer? Like, ah, oh, you're so good. So good, show you were almost there. <laughs> well, that that would have been an interesting moment for Sora, though, just just because of the 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 knowledge, the the whole big knowledge base. It's like, oh, I have this little tiny tidbit of something. I don't know. I could could have been something interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, it had to be Burnham that came up with the idea. That's right. That's right. And uh, so we decided to save ourselves by going into the pattern buffer. And uh, but, but, Burnham does do the right thing, I would say, in being there despite the odds of survival, in in not being in the pattern buffer, wearing an EV suit with a super epic walk down the hallway. Oh man, gratuitous slow mo walk. <laughs> There's a, lo- there's a lot of gratuitous slow-mo stuff in this season, though. For real, like, though. I think I said in the first episode, like, 
I think somebody got their hands on a on like a slow mo camera and just was like, <laughs> I'm using it. Using like, it. Let's go. Gratuitous slow mo walk down the corridor with you know stuff blowing up behind her. <laughs> right? uh-huh. And there was even like the fade shot where you saw her like behind and up front. Right? It was like, damn. Somebody like that was like unnecessary. But they did it. Maybe you guys can like solve something for me because I watched this episode twice. And I'm gonna be honest, like I wasn't particularly involved with it. But so she stays behind for what? I uh, mean, to bring the crew out of the pro- the pattern buffer. I think she doesn't I do think, that. No. So because I mean, what else was she there? I mean, moral support for for the computer. I guess, well, well, listen, but like going listen. down with your ship, like with like let, naval let, tradition. Let's, let's, let's go back to what we we're talking about Stargate. Jonathan Archer was in the nacelles with everybody else. Right. He didn't just no. stick on the bridge, you know, to hang no. out there when. Everybody I want to. I, I, I want. I want. I want to answer this question, and it Sorry, might sound flippant and it might sound funny, but I'm being totally serious. Um, going back to Stargate for a moment, when Stargate Atlantis started, <clears throat> you know, uh, Major John Shepard. Right or was our was our main character? Yeah. Um, and he does something in the pilot episode. He like runs in to save people when he could have easily like flown in, and and it would have been much easier to like save everybody. <laughs> and they did like a interview with him, like, and somebody was like, "Why didn't you just do this other thing that would have been much easier to like to save these people and get out of that dangerous situation? Why did you have to put yourself in so much danger?" And he looks right at the person and says, because my character is supposed to be heroic. <laughs> and and that's the reason, right? Why does Michael Burnham have to stay behind? Because her character has to be heroic. And it's the heroic thing to do, to sit in your EV suit and burn in pain while the rest of your crew is safe and sound. That's That's the only reason I can think of. You know, yeah. this was this was something that has come up on a number of like reviews for this particular episode, like with like YouTube and stuff like that. People asking the same question, like, why did Burnham stay in the, the center seat, you know, when everyone else is in the pattern buffer? And some some people have said like that very thing, like the heroics. Others are like maritime tradition, Starfleet tradition of, you know, captain going down with their ship when stuff hits the fan type of thing. But the ship's not going down. I mean, there there's a plan of escape. Now, it might not work. Going down with the ship is the last resort in maritime. That that's That's literally when there is no other route to take. It's it's not a suicide mission. It's just you know this is the last thing. Uh, in this case, that isn't her last option at all. No, she has a very viable living option. There's a chance of escape, and if you have the chance of escape, you take it. You don't just go down for the hell of it. That's that is not a maritime tradition. Now, but, granted, many captains have gone down with their ship. Sure, but that was the last possible thing for them to do also also when they're going in and they pass the plasma barrier it takes two seconds to pass the plasma barrier going in but coming out at one point zora says 
it will take four minutes for us to pass through the plasma barrier. And I'm like, why is that? Why did it take you two seconds to get in? And why is it going to take you four minutes to get out? Right? Is it like some sort like, of time dilation or something? <laughs> like, I don't understand that. Is it just so we can have the the um, burning up scene? Right? The I don't know what else to say. Guy was yeah, like, yeah, the pyrotechnics guy I've needed got something to do. <laughs> I've got some good stuff worked out for this week. I need about four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the fringe, the fr- like the like stage left of it, like near uh, near Detmer Station. I'm like, and that's a really good that's a really good like little little burst of flame right there. It's like it's very consistent. I love that burst of flame. You're doing a great job, burst of flame. Well done. <laughs> this ship is rickety as hell. I would yeah, not dude, feel yeah, safe dude. on this ship. There's sparks. There's fire all over the place. Nothing where I mean the computer's alive. I don't want to serve on this ship. <laughs> David, were you getting any sort of like, I don't know, waking up in Rivendell vibes with the way that this episode ended? Because I totally was. <laughs> oh, how like Frodo passed out. Yeah, I can see that. You're alive. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was fun stuff. Hey, quick question. So when, when we were talking about uh, edge of our known galaxy and all this stuff, wasn't this sort of the premise of what was it? Frontier, Final Frontier, yeah, one of the they movies. Went to, they went to the galactic core in that one. Oh, okay, galactic but, core. But the the original pilot episode, um, not the original pilot episode, but the the actual pilot episode where no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. They went and they passed through the galactic barrier. And that's what turned Gary Mitchell into the super powerful being. Yeah. No, it's it just I remember I remember watching the episode and I and I got that well the the, the line from like Spock's brother. I I can't help but notice your pain. My pain? Yes, it runs deep. Share it with me. That ran through my head as I was watching this little bit. So sorry. Galactic burials, cores, it's fine. It's little awesome. little love for the for the Final Frontier. Love it, love it. Hey, it gets better the second time you see it. <laughs> it's not, and I'm saying it gets better every time you watch it. But from the first time you watch it, you're like, "Wow, that was bad." The second time you watch, you're like, "It's not great, but it's definitely better than it was the first time I saw it." <laughs> and the third, the, story, time, the third time, the third time you see it, third time you see it, you're like, "Eh, whatever." So, <laughs> so um, David and I did um, did a little book review. Um, earlier this year on the Dark Veil, the second uh, Picard book, and there may or may not be some other galaxy type stuff going on in that book. And I'm just wondering, for David in particular, like if you had like remembered that, or if you, if any thoughts had like maybe connected with like that book in this episode at all. Yeah, I'll be honest, I don't remember that book at all right now. Sure. I, I, I remember, I I remember, remember listening to, to you guys, that episode where you talked about it. I didn't read the book, and I don't remember anything that you mentioned about extragalactic beings. Well, I mean, the book's been out for almost a year now, so I'm just going to say, and we did a freaking review on it, so it's, it's, it's canon as far as I'm concerned in, in terms of this show. But um, 
in that book, they they open up the the fact that there are folks from the Andromeda galaxy that are essentially reaching out and connecting to our galaxy, uh, which is where we have like some of the Thad stuff kind of coming into play that we hear about, like on Nepenthe, uh, that episode of, of Picard. So I don't know if we're going to necessarily be connecting with the Andromeda galaxy or or what, but it just seems like too much of a coincidence that that book came out about a year ago, which is about the time that this episode probably would have been in production, if I'm being completely honest. And there had to have been like story points since like Kurtzman and Michelle Paradise and all them are, are, you know, working together to like, you know, keep the narrative and everything nice and neat as best they can with like the books. Now that we've wrapped up Coda and we're going into a new literature kind of canon now. So that was just one thought that kind of crossed my mind, you know, with how much they've focused now on like, Oh yeah, we're, we're doing this extra galactic outside the Milky way kind of thing. Um, kind of going on. So there we go. I'm going to leave it alone from there. So any, any other, any other thoughts apart from like the Baul? discussion that freaking Saru and Book had? I mean, do you want to talk about stormy weather, Chase? That feels like something you'd want to talk about. Uh, not really. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, sure, we can. Would you like me to sing a song? <laughs> <laughs> what was the, what was the musical, was it Hello Dolly that was playing in the Calypso episode that Zora really loved? I think so. And, and I think right. it was even in the episode last season, right? Where they yeah. had their movie night? Mm-hmm. That's what I was expecting to hear, but I guess stormy weather makes sense. How about blue skies? <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> All right, look at me, David. Look at me. I'm the captain now. I'm the captain now. <laughs> Play that oh, same song. Play that same song. I'm back. Oh, man. I'm back. <laughs> Stormy welfare. Yeah, no. No. So they actually sang this song in um, the Umbrella Academy, by the way. Yeah, I haven't seen it. So, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, um, was it? Uh, Ian Alexander is in Umbrella Academy, if I'm not mistaken, also. Uh, is he? He was on the show, uh, another sci-fi show on Netflix called The OA, which is pretty okay. fantastic. You should all check I, that out. Maybe I'm getting it mixed up. Anyway, but yeah, the but yeah, Stormy Weather uh, appeared on Umbrella Academy and here also. And yeah, it was it was different. Um, I was not, a, it just caught me completely off guard, but I liked, I mean, I liked the, the song. Um, I'm glad it wasn't blue. I swear, if blue skies would have played, <laughs> I'm gonna steal. A, I'm you gonna. Would, I'm gonna. You would have I would take my at the TV. Yes, and I would have gotten my shuttlecraft and gone home. That was my first thought when she started singing. <laughs> you want me to sing a song? Blue skies. I was thinking it would be the same song from like the musical that she, you know. But I guess we didn't. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. It was, it was good. Like, I thought, like, the tone was good. I mean, fantastic voice, by the way. <coughs> fantastic voice uh, singing the song, so. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little bit I'm gonna be that guy for a second. Do we are are we like going like the James Bond route of of discovery this season? Where we have to somehow incorporate the name the title of the episode into a line of dialogue at some point in the episode? Why not? <clears throat> have we done that every episode so far? Mm-hmm. Yashi Maru. Yeah. Anom- anomaly. Yep. Choose to live. Mm-hmm. All is possible. Did they say that in that episode? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was on the snow globe. <laughs> okay. And the examples. And then now Stormy Weather. Okay. Hey, it's very rare that we actually hear the episode title in the show. Look, guys, I am just happy that we have, like, simple titles Instead of like paragraph ending ones like we had in season right, it's, one. It's not like it's not like emo emo music song titles. <laughs> Gosh. Right. What was one of them like the butcher cares not yeah, for the lamb's the, cry? The, the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Magic to make the sanest man go mad. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. And now here we are, we're naming our episodes and we're incorporating it as dialogue. I love it. I love it. I mean, it'd be better if they introduced, like, a James Bond title and figured out how to make that work. Now that you're talking about James Bond, like, yeah, diamonds are forever. What did you say, Saru? Nothing? Nothing. <laughs> you know, on that was, a, that, was a really, that was a really bad James Bond movie, by the way. Diamonds are oh, forever. You're, get out of here, man. It was. You Sean know, Connery did not want to be there. He came back. Well, of course he didn't want to be but there. But he came back after a hiatus, but you can tell he still didn't want to be there. Anyway, that we can do talk about James Bond later. I think we're in the Thunderball. What? Thunderball was a good was a good James Bond movie. You know, on Kaminar, we tell each other to die another day. (laughs) No, we tell each other today is no time to die. Mm. Look at this book. I have a golden gun. Hmm. Oh, book, what happened? Did the sky fall with your planet? Did the sky... <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon, oh, too listen. soon. You sh- like, we have, a, we have an old saying on Vulcan. Never say never again. <laughs> <laughs> because tomorrow never dies. Because mm. we can scare the living daylights out of each other. <laughs> with a golden eye. All right. Well, you guys are scaring the living daylights out of me. Let's um, let's move right along. Let's get on to our review. Cause why not? Let's let's get on to the review. All right. So let's um, we'll just go ahead and start with our Delta. See how we're doing with that. So for, if this is your first time listening, Delta, we're looking at the different aspects of Starfleet service, the different divisions, I should say. Uh, so we're looking at command with like leadership type stuffs. Um, we're looking at engineering and um, operations so technical techno babble and i guess just operation stuff and then finally science so uh eric why don't you kick us off on this one sure um i think last week we kind of said this is not really a show that's interested in doing a lot of engineering things so i don't know if we've ever given the engineering delta to this show um but i'm gonna be very complimentary here like i've already said i 
love Michael Burnham in this episode. I think this might be the best she's ever been, uh, aside from, like, That Hope Is You Part 1. She was fantastic in this and, like, made great decisions, right, was being a leader, and I'm just absolutely excited for this part of her and to see this type of growth. So, like, like two command deltas for her in this like she's what? fantastic right no no i'm i'm fantastic and we're doing science right now i'm, I'm gonna do the science right i keep going the back science. to that that in, in, av- in, in avatar right yep. there's this you know jake sully the marine jarhead he's like so anyway here i am doing science <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's just, he doesn't know he's just a jarhead right like i'm doing science <laughs> but like no we're doing science here this is like this is like a sciencey episode right we're not fighting our way out of this situation we're sciencing our way out of it we got the whole bridge crew working together right and we got lieutenant bryce back who i was been so worried about like because they brought in that new replacement and i don't know why they brought that guy in i don't know maybe the actor who plays bryce just has a difficult schedule right now i don't know but, you know, we got Bryce, we got Reese, we got Detmer, we got Usukun, we got, we got Gray, not Gray, we got Adira. They're all working together. Saru is working. They're all working together. And they're doing science. And Stamets, he's doing science, right? And Culver is there doing science, right? And we even got Dr. Pollard in there, not really doing science, but she was in this episode, right? Wearing Just some throwing, kind of science uniform. Throw in Janet, throw in Janet Reno. Oh my god. Oh boy. Yeah, just throw her in there. Throw in Reno and we got everybody. Like we're doing science. Science! So yeah, science delta. Anyway, there you go. There's my delta. Everyone in Listerland, you can't see this, but Eric was as red as a freaking tomato when he said that. <laughs> little little red tomato with a beard. I love it. <laughs> David, go ahead, bud. Save me. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with Eric as far as you know the command delta. Obviously, Burnham was making really cogent decisions when we're talking about preserving the lives of of the the people on the ship, as opposed to what we've seen from her in the past, going constantly go 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 regardless of the consequences. So that that's really really good to see. Um, you know, and obviously there was there there's been there's been a lot more science in general, which is which is good. I mean, you're you're you are debating your way through problems. You're coming up with scientific solutions to to these things and and, and anal- analysis of um, of data points and, and things that you've been able to discover. So that's all really good. I think I am going to refuse to ever give an operational delta as long as this ship keeps throwing sparks and flamethrowers because <laughs> that does not indica- indicate a well-run ship. So, 
no operations for you, no engineering. You're done until we, we can get the flamethrowers out of there. I know the pyro guy's loving his job. He's got a big old fat budget. He's got a crate full of, you know, just, I don't know, canisters of various flame <laughs> stuff and just sparklers. And he's, I don't know, maybe some fireworks eventually. He's probably just raided some fireworks hut across state lines or whatever and just having a blast. But look, that ship seems rickety as hell. <laughs> I don't want to be on that ship. So no operational engineering delta for you. The other two I'm good with. It's very antiquated. <laughs> well, at least at least we don't see like panels blowing people across the room. So that's, that's true. kind of a plus. But yeah, that, that's that's true. That's true. Well, yeah, the. A lot of the leadership stuff, I was very, um, very impressed, very um, proud of of Burnham for. So, um, like even even coming into this, um, despite like some parts of this like annoying me just a little bit, um, Burnham really really pulled this one out. So um, between her and like working with even Saru and the rest of the crew, um, and letting other people kind of like take the lead on some stuff. Um, and do some things definitely definitely command we have some really good demonstration of like leadership stuff going on and uh, we did the science we did sonar and space again so that's cool and um, I mean I think the the closest stretch is maybe going old old relics with like the the pattern buffer and that's that's probably about it but so, we didn't um, even but, explain how to do that. We just, oh, let's go yeah. into a pattern buffer, and we hit our comm, and mm-hmm. we're in it. We didn't have to, there was no, oh, let's let's set this up somehow. Right. Like, that's the closest thing, is, yeah, let's let's use the tech, let's use the stuff to kind of do the thing, but that's, like, let's go hide the pattern buffer was, was basically it, so. Um, I'm going to, I'll give, I'll, I'll award straight up, like, science and command, and like I was... Like I was saying, like this is freaking who's line. We get to make the make this crap up because why not? So like, we'll we'll give like a like an ensign or like a lieutenant JG amount of like engineering, right? Like like that level maybe. Uh, whatever. All right, let's move on to, to numerical, and we'll go in reverse order. We'll start with David on this one. So if this is your first time listening, it's on a scale of one to ten. One being a dumpster fire, ten being absolutely amazing. And um, yeah, there we go, David. So, I think there's some decent parts of this episode. I think the core of the episode was was good. The idea was good. I think um, I think that there, are, there there there's just a real problem with character development that I'm not enjoying. And I, I already said this, but I watched it twice because, like, the first time I was distracted, and then the second time I wasn't crazy interested. Um, but I, I, I like the I like the premise, and I and I have people that I do enjoy. Like I still enjoy seeing book and episodes, despite the fact that we're kind of getting kind of angry book. But still, I kind of I'm I'm interested to see that through. You know, Burnham doing actual command stuff is good. Saru can come in here and, and do her do his thing, and and we have a pretty much a full crew complement, which I like to see as well. All the actual main characters, that is. Um. But it, it, it just, I don't know, it didn't really excite me at all. 
and uh, I know Chase, you'd put pre, uh, prior week's ratings, so I gave last week a 6-8, um, and I think I was, I felt more in, at least engaged in the fact of watching the episode than I did with this one for whatever reason. But I don't, I don't want to, I don't really want to flame it either because again, there was, there, there was some good, there was some good stuff. Uh, but um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with the rating here. I'm gonna say that it's probably for me like, like a six point five. I think okay. is kind of where I'm at with it. Okay. What do you got, Eric? Well, I think we've said this a lot this season on these recaps. There's some good stuff in each of these episodes, right? I don't know if it had ever put together a full episode, like a complete good episode, just because it tried to pack so much crap into each episode, right? <coughs> we made the joke, how much Star Trek can we put into Star Trek? <laughs> this episode, yeah. like, really, like... If these amps go up to 11, last week was an 11, this was like a 2, right? It, like, cranked that sucker down. There was an A plot and a B plot, right? I mean, that was it. Everything was one story. And this felt like the closest thing I've ever seen to a Star Trek episode that this show has done in a long time. Probably going back to... um, episode five from last season uh which Mm. was the one where they went to the seed ship after they found the federation right and so i i really like this episode i really like this episode this is the best episode of this show in over a year's worth of time right this i mean this i mean i'll i think i'll say this right now i think this is one of the five best episodes discovery's ever had i really do i think this episode for discovery standards is really good. And I, I hate the fact that I have to qualify that statement and say for discovery sure. standards, it's really good, yeah. but it is, it's, it's a classic star Trek episode, right? I mean, these internet trolls, like what the hell do you want? If this, if you yeah. don't like the, if you're a star Trek fan and you don't like this episode, literally what the hell do you want? Because this is it. This is what Star Trek is about. Yes, I get that it's not subtle and it's overly sentimental and emotional, but that's just the show Discovery is, right? So, like, some of you people just stop watching if you hate it so much. Literally. You don't have to watch it just to make sure you hate it, okay? Just go away. As far as I, And I, I don't want to be that gatekeeper, but you're starting to really piss me off, some of these people out there that are just like... Like, I woke up yesterday more, or this morning, and I looked, and with, like, 50 ratings, the 50, like, people that rated it, the INDB rating was a 3.7. I was like, what? That is insane. And, like, <clears throat> I'm not going to, like, put too much, but, like, this is not a 9 or anything like that, but it's one of the five best episodes Discovery's ever made as far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to give it an 8. Whoa. Which is pretty high praise. For, I, I mean, pretty high praise for me. Very high praise for you, yeah. 100%. I really enjoyed this episode. I mean, okay. to, to your point, you are right. It is more like a Star Trek episode. But so are a lot of 
Star Trek episodes from different iterations. I just I I, I judge it amongst the whole, but I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I if you strictly judge it, I yeah, mean, which I like, think is great. I just I couldn't get into it. It's weird. I mean, I wasn't. I was like, I was like, sometimes you know, if I'm on the second time watching it, I'm picking up my phone and I'm on my tablet. And, but I was like, both times I was watching this, I was like fully engaged. Yeah, that's cool. That's good. Okay. So. I, I want to say this, and I think um, I think Eric might have said this, and I think we kind of made a point of it um, at some point last season, in season three. This episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, our very own Commander Riker, Captain Riker, and um, or Admiral Riker, depending on where you're hanging out with him at, I guess. So we had we had we had a um, we had him directing this, and we had originally said something along the lines of. Has this guy lost his touch? And I'm I'm somewhere between David and Eric with where I I, I where I was with this particular episode. Um, like some of the Zora stuff was kind of like a oh really, but the fact that we had the crew working together, um. I loved it and that we had like we were doing the science even though I was giving that statement like a lot of crap um, we were getting more we, we had I think we had like a decent balance and I, I think I'm being pretty generous with this statement like we had a pretty decent balance between action and science that's 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 a it's being very gracious I think um, so I, I did enjoy this episode I mean I was watching this while I was on like hardcore dad duty today uh, while my wife was working and the kids were not at daycare and trying to do all that stuff. So uh, for me, um, I'm probably not going to go as high as Eric, but I'm also not going to go as low with what David was getting. I'm, like I said, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. I'm probably sitting closer to like a, like a 7, 3, maybe a 7, four maybe um, I, I definitely liked it a lot more than all is possible and um, I thought all is possible was a pretty decent episode I know um, the gents we were kind of like split on that a little bit too uh, but but I think seven seven four is probably where I'm gonna be camping out with this like this was a pretty decent episode and this is probably the most Star Trek you're going to get from discovery at this point um, hopefully we can we can continue on with this trajectory. Hopefully we can continue to have a little bit more of um, like ensemble type of stuff that we were kind of seeing and experiencing in this episode. I would love that, and I'm part of me is curious if um, if Frakes has has anything to do with that in this particular episode as a result of directing it. So um, so there we go. Well. Eric, you're going to love this next part. Okay. So, um, everyone, before we get the heck out of here, we have ourselves a Twitter poll. All right. This one is for you, Eric. I mean, it's for all of us. It's for all of us, everyone. So, I polled the people of the Twitter, the Twitter sphere, the Twitter verse, the Twitter universe, whatever. And here is the question Is. Star Trek Generations a 
hashtag Christmas slash hashtag holiday movie. Yes or no? Well, I mean... Yes, right? (laughs) Yes, right? Because... There's a scene at Christmas, and that makes it a Christmas movie by definition, doesn't it? I mean, that's up for debate, I suppose. I mean, what do you think, at a David? Christmas tree. They're opening presents. They're having Christmas dinner. Right. I he mean, learns the Christmas spirit. <laughs> the Christmas spirit, <laughs> like of teamwork, right? That's the Christmas spirit teamwork. Yes, that's what Santa taught all of his enslaved elves. Teamwork. Build the toys. It's teamwork. It's for all the little girls and boys. Teamwork makes oh, the dream work. Oh, boy. Um, you, you know, okay. So here, the, it's the same debate. It's the Die Hard debate. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, right? No, it's not a Christmas movie. I'm fine with it being watched at Christmas. It's a Wonderful Life. Is it's a not. It's not a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas. It's movie. not. It's because it, it takes it's place definitely. at Christmas, but it's not about Christmas. It's so actually. It's, not a it's, it's, movie. it's about the human condition more so than any of these other movies are. It, yeah, but it, that that's just make my it a Christmas movie. It's a movie about the human condition that takes place at Christmas. Mm, I well. Uh, Hmm. I don't necessarily want to debate the, the, the merits of morality and the fact that Christmas should be more about engaging in more moral behavior than being a bunch of a-holes. Hmm. But I, I think that providing solid life lessons would be closer to what I would like Christmas to be about than giving people presents like learn something and I would rather have it's a well I mean teamwork is fine but I just would rather have the story of it's a wonderful life over anything but I mean like there there are a lot of other uh, Christmas movies I think it's really hard to debate Christmas movies is is generations of Christmas movie no I don't think it's no no obviously it's not right but I know that this is always something that people get real hot button about. It's like, look, if you want to watch Die Hard at Christmas, go for it. If you want to watch Hans Gruber jump off the, you know, be sent off the building, it's it's fine by me. Not a Christmas movie. <laughs> well, I mean, if anything, Die Hard is a Harry Potter movie since you know he's he's running around trying to hide from uh, freaking Alan Rickman. Oh, God. <laughs> Hiding from Severus Snape. Does so, he die in those movies? In those books? Alan yes. Rickman. Spoilers. I, 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 like Statue of Limitations, right? I think the last movie came out 10 years ago, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and the last book. So the book, book. the book came out like 15 years ago, right? Uh, 2007, I think, is when the last book came out, if I'm not mistaken. So 14 years ago. Yeah. All right. So we actually have, we have like, at least two comments on this okay so uh from um eli schwab um, um at um elon iffy iffy i don't know uh it says 
for me, it has to feature into the plot. It needs to be about Christmas in some way, not just have Christmas in it. Okay, so there's that. And then the other person did a little quote tweet. Um, Nathan, at Dazzler AOA, said, If Die Hard is, then so is Star Trek Generations. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this was this was closer than I thought it would be. Um, I, I think so. So it was it was between a yes and a no. Fifty-two point nine percent of the vote said yes. Generations is a Christmas movie, with forty-seven point one percent saying no. So there you go, everyone. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, go watch Generations. I hope you hope you did, you know, since this is obviously coming out after the Christmas holiday um, has happened. So I um, hope you enjoyed watching Generations. It's not too late. You can still watch it. You can still feel festive, I guess, and watch it. Enjoy the Nexus. It's fine. It's fine. All right, everyone, let's get the heck out of here. Um, I do hope that everyone did. Um, if you do celebrate Christmas, I hope you had a, um, a very Merry Christmas. Um, however you celebrate it, whoever you might have spent it with, um, thank you for listening to this week's episode we've talked about stormy weather. Hopefully there's not too much stormy weather going around, going on um, in your part of the world. Um, here in the Lone Star Station, we have some crazy weird stuff going on here in December. It's 80 degrees. Freaking 80 degrees here with with Christmas and in like this time of year, it, it makes no sense. Makes no sense. Uh, despite it being like 30 and 40, like for a few days prior. So figure that one out. Anyway, what did y'all think of the episode? Uh, what do you think of, um, Jonathan Frakes and his directing, um, uh, stormy weather? We'd love to hear your thoughts, your opinions. Let us know. Check us out. TRTVpod.com. Um, you can also find out ways to support the show, help grow the show by telling your friends, your family, uh, whoever's got, um, an interest in podcasts, just tell them about the show. We'd love to have them listen, you know, help, help grow the show. Um, other than that, um, make sure that, um, you know, you can just know that you can reach out to us directly by sending us an email, trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice only transmission to 817-752-4757. There's a three minute limit before Zora starts to cry. So please don't make her cry. I don't want her to cry. That's bad. Uh, finally, if you do want to mail us something, like, I don't know, some Trill Chess. That'd be fantastic. Make sure it gets to the Lone Star Station P.O. Box 2455, Azel, Texas 76098. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, remember to boldly go and make it so.